Well, it's my honour to introduce Kath as she gets herself ready. And that, um, as she comes and shares over the words. So let's give Kath a hand. She's just getting the mic away. Is it? Oh, there yes. we go. Thanks, Josh. All right. Good morning, everyone. Happy Australia Day, everybody. Is it actually today or tomorrow? It's the 26th today, isn't it? Yes. All right. So it's today. Celebrating all that is amazing about being an Australian. I can do that this year for the first time, almost as an Australian citizenship, just waiting for my ceremony, passing my test. So that's very exciting. Um, but you know, as, I was, um, as we were singing and um, praying just then, I actually felt kind of like this well of emotion um, because I just think about the excitement of, you know, being an Australian, being in this incredible country, but yet just what our country has been through in this last few months. And um, I guess I just, I just, you know, I'm so grateful to be here. What a beautiful place in which we live. It's absolute paradise. But yet, you know, there's just so much that we're all going through right now. And I just, I just pray God for a drenching rain that will just soak this incredible land. And I just pray that we can send our amazing heroic firefighters home in Jesus' name. Um, what a season it's been, hey? Um, I was just sort of settling down, sort of, you know, from the, I suppose, the butterflies in the stomach, um, you know, wondering whether we need to pack again or not. And then on Thursday, that 38-degree day, I took my girls out to Lake Conjola to the caravan park. They had a party there. And um, I thought, yes, they can let it all loose, have some fun, go crazy. And um, as we drove out there, it was, it was bizarre, actually. It was quite weird. It was... Um, just there was bright, it was very windy. There was branches just going all over the road. There was leaves, literally. Like I've only ever seen this in America along those, you know, those long narrow roads. And like in autumn, when all the leaves fall, and the leaves were literally there was just stacks of them all over the road, and they were all like dancing in the wind. And it was actually really beautiful to look at. But I thought, wow, you know, with that comes a bit of a a bit of a, a worry, and I just prayed protection over my family as we drove out there in the car, because that area has already had so much destruction. And, um, you know, as, I, as we were out there for, a, I guess we were out there for an hour or so, and, and then just that red haze came back. I thought, oh, wow, I'm just going <laughs> to quickly check my fire app. Um, and five fires had developed in Milton, one right over the highway where Swelly works. And I just sort of gathered all the kids that were in the pool. I said, look, kids, I don't want, to, don't want you to panic, but you need to get out of the pool and we need to get home now. Like, and so um, I, just, I was just worried about being stuck out there, thinking, are the roads going to shut again and will they stay shut? I don't want to be stuck in Conjola without Swelly and I tend to be <laughs> a bit of a worrywart. So um, anyway, so we came home and then we spent the afternoon packing again all our passports, all our photos, and we just put it all away. Um, but yeah, look, it's... it's I just imagine for those, Lynn mainly here, and just for so many others, um, you know, you must just feel battle-weary, you know, exhausted. And I think for the rest of us that still feel so grateful to have our homes, I know for me, I've worked with um, war veterans for many years, and the Vietnam and Korean vets, you very regularly hear the story that they just don't know how to be grateful to be alive. The anxiety, the depression, the, the ongoing fear and nightmares just continues because they can't get over the fact that their mate 
died and they didn't, and they just feel guilty to be here, and they just can't celebrate their life. And you know, and I've heard that story so much. And you know, during this time of hearing so many horror stories of people away and coming back to rubble, I felt like those war veterans. I felt. Like it's not fair. It's you know I feel guilty for being okay, and I just I feel sad for being thankful that I have my house. So you know it's been a tough season for everyone um, in some way or another. And I sort of think about you know the battles that we go through in life. You know, in some ways we can maybe feel like we're constantly in a battle. You know, whether it's our health or our finances or our marriage or our, you know, um, our, whatever circumstances it is. You know, do you sometimes feel that there's just always another fight around the corner? There's always something to fight for. But I guess the questions I have to start off with this morning is: Do we know how to fight? Do we understand who we're fighting against? And do we currently have a battle plan? As well as a fire plan in place. The title of my message this morning is Prayer Strategy. You know, after becoming a Christian, prayer became a part of my life. But God has been challenging me significantly over the last few months to evaluate my prayer life and to change how and when I pray. Now, this all came about because last year in I think maybe November, December time, Lynn and Nancy and I, um, we met at the Treehouse Cafe for a coffee. And we were just chatting about church and relationship and growth. And Nancy um, wisely spoke up and she said, guys, the, the foundation on which this church will grow is prayer. It's the only way. And it's just been in my spirit ever since. And I have been like, I have been hour after hour like talking this out with God, praying about it, thinking about it. And, you know, God has been really challenging me to look at my prayer life. So the Bible talks about prayer being needed continually. And as leaders of the church, we need, we need to therefore give it a very central place. So in a minute, I'm going to teach you seven prayer strategies that will help you to fight a victory battle. For, one, for every one of our battles, the enemy has devised a strategy. He roams around every day, every minute of every day, trying to kill, steal, and destroy. The Bible says so. So to win any battle, we have to have the right strategies and resources. So before we go into those, let's just start at the very beginning um, for those who may need to know the basics. What is prayer and how do we pray? So prayer is simply having a conversation with God that comes from our hearts. So this involves where we listen, we hear, we respond, we ask questions, we change the emotion of the, like, and the dynamic of our emotion depending on the situation that we're in. You know, someone that we're close with in a relationship, you know, like for Swelly and I, Swelly sees me in my joy, my sadness, my despair, desperation. He sees me when I'm thankful, when I'm in awe. He sees me when I'm in control and when I'm out of control. <laughs> and, you know, that's a relationship. And God wants the same from us. He wants our prayer life to be dynamic and he wants to see the real us in every situation. Prayer is not just like a list of requests, like children that write to Santa and go, hey, Santa, can I have X, Y, and Z this year for Christmas? God wants so much more than that. So prayer is much more about coming to God humbly, ready to listen, ready to learn, ready to grow, and ready to trust him in all our situations through every decision that you face. All right, how do we pray? Do we pray with our hands together? Do we pray with our hands raised? Do we have our head bowed? Or do we have our face lifted up seeking his face? 
Are we on our knees? Are we in the car? Don't shut your eyes in the car. <laughs> um, are we in worship, loud and proud? Or are we in silence, sincere and serious? Do we mix it up, guys? We shouldn't make prayer stale. There are as many ways to pray as there are people on this planet. So let us just have a think about our prayer life. Let's evaluate. Is your prayer life lacking? Is it boring? Now, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but, you know, there is some very habitual ways in which we can sort of get into um, praying. Is it something we just tick off the list as another job? What do we pray about and how? Does it tend to be the same things? Do you have a strategy? Are you bold and confident? And do you know God? Do we read his word regularly? So for every situation, every little thing that we go through, I can't remember, I know I've preached before on how many thoughts we have per minute. There's, there's absolutely loads. So are we thinking about our prayer life for every situation that we go through, every thought and every decision we make? Are we dependent on God for it? Are we in warfare for our situations? When I became a Christian, um, Prayer was really hard for me. I grew up in a, um, like I didn't, my parents and my family didn't attend church and I'd never heard people pray out loud except the liturgies in um, like maybe a Catholic church. Um, and as an adult, I found that when I came into to a church like this, I felt very self-conscious about praying out loud. You know, I would prefer my uh, public speaking to be, you know, a bit like the old Queen's speech, very well rehearsed and, you know, <laughs> that's how I feel more confident. Now, we've been uh, watching the series um, on Netflix recently, The Crown. I don't know if any of you have seen it, but it was interesting because you learn all these facts about what's gone on in history and like it's based on, I think, primarily true facts, isn't it, Swelling? And then they back it up with what actually happened. So they've made this sort of drama series. It's actually very good. But um, in the 1950s, the Queen of England would have these very well-prepared speeches and very well-rehearsed, and she was basically publicly ridiculed in the press at one point, just saying that, you know, her speeches were not authentic. She couldn't relate to the people. And so there was a particular guy that was a, a, an avid follower of hers, but actually publicly spoke out and um, criticised her. And um, this was when she was in her young, early days of monarchy. And, um, yeah, he was a, a huge part of changing the way she presented herself in all of her speeches. And, you know, a big part of that was becoming more authentic. And I just think that, you know, God wants us to do the same. He wants us, he doesn't want a well-rehearsed prayer, although that can have its place, um, but he wants us to be authentic. He wants us to reach him at a much deeper level. So I've learned to be effective in prayer. I had to shift my mindset. I had to shift my lack of confidence. I had to shift my priorities, my busyness. I had to shift any areas of unbelief. And I had to shift my excuses. And I have to get really serious about effective prayer. So that's the journey I've been on in the last few months at another level. So I believe the way we can get really serious about prayer is to develop some strategies. The devil is very strategic. And he, was, he will have us on the back foot as often as he can. So if you are tired of fighting battles in your life, take notes from now on. This is a good one to take notes for. I have seven strategies that I'm going to run through with you. We're going to fight for victory, guys. Jesus has already won the victory, but we're just going to claim it through these strategies, through whatever, you know, God speaks to you about personally. So strategy number one, Dean. Number one, remain connected in prayer. In John 15 and 7, it says, If you remain in me, my words remain in you, and you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. 
Now, that's an interesting verse, isn't it? I, I imagine that this verse can be slightly misinterpreted at times. It doesn't say simply, ask for anything you want and you'll get it. It says, if we remain connected, if you know the truth of my promises. Later on in that verse, John 15 and 26, it says, I will send you an advocate of the spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit teaches us and it helps us to know God's heart. So if we're teachable, if we're repentant of things we do wrong, and if we're asking according to his will, then we're connected and we know the truth. If our phones get down to about 1% and we have to message someone, you know, to organize something very important, we go into like some crazy panic, oh my gosh, my phone's out of charge, I need to connect it up. And if we're late for work and we lose our keys, which I have done on many occasions, I have this like frantic stress, you know, I fly into this panic and I go, oh my gosh, I've got to find my keys, I'm going to be late, you know, and I will seek those keys until I find them. But how many times has your laptop or your phone or your iPad run out because, you know, the kids have kind of, they've worn it out with all their games and then they've kind of done a dump and run, you know? We seek to connect them, all right? We, we seek to hook into these pieces of technology that, you know, help us to communicate on a regular basis. But when do we panic about our reconnection with God? At what point do we realize that that charge is low? And what has the devil schemed up for us in the meantime? If we want any chance to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy, I believe we need to stay connected and know the truth. Then we won't side with the world and, and fall into sin. So does truth govern your lives? Do God's principles govern our choices and requests? The Bible, guys, should be our compass, allowing God's opinion to rule over our life, seeking truth for every matter, everything we do. And that is why John 15 and 7, that we just had up, says, anything you ask will be granted because you remain connected and you remain in truth. The enemy cannot deceive a person who has decided to guard themselves in truth. But when we turn away from God's truth, the devil gets a foothold. Number two, Pray continually. Philippians 4 and 6 says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Recent, recently, Meg and I were journeying up to Sydney together for her, one of her dental checkups. Um, she has some complex issues with her teeth. And she started expressing concern to me on the way back about um, you know, next year and what it's going to look like. This was last year. And... Um, you know, the fact that she's going into year three and I don't know who my teacher is going to be and will I have friends and make, has a few struggles at school. So I said, darling, are you, are you worried about these things? And she said, yes. So I said, okay, right, let's pray. So as we're driving back to Sydney, you know, I prayed over her and, you know, prayed that God would put her in the right class with the right teacher over her friends. And she said, oh, mama, I feel so much better. And then she turned around and she said, sweet, mama, you pray about everything. And I said, darling, the Bible tells us, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything, you know. And I just think that it's so good for our kids to learn that in every circumstance, in every situation, we can pray. And, you know, later on in that verse, in verse 7, it says, you will experience the peace that exceeds anything we can understand. I really believe she felt that peace in that moment. So, church, can we consciously um, practice responding to our circumstances with joy and with prayer as opposed to anxiety and worry. Um, ask God to help you. You know, I've been so aware more of this lately and I really feel that God's been helping me to lean in. Number three, pray with scripture similar to your situation. 
So if you're praying for someone's salvation, as an example, uh, pray Luke 19 in essence over them. Say, Lord, as you brought Zacchaeus down from that tree, I pray that you will bring my friend down from their tree. I pray that you will change them and that you will give them salvation as you did for for Zacchaeus. If you can't sleep, pray Psalm 3 and 5. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. If you need help with negative thinking, pray Psalm 19:14. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord. If you're afraid, pray Psalm 27:1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. When you're sad or brokenhearted, pray Psalm 34:17 to 18. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Thank you, Father. When you need to repent of sin, pray Psalm 51, 1-2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Thank you, Father. When you want to seek God's will for your life, Pray Psalm 143.10. Teach me to do your will, Lord. For you are my God. You are my good spirit. Lead me on level ground. Now there's just hundreds more, but I just wanted to give paint a bit of a picture. You know, we're speaking to the God of the universe, and sometimes I just feel like my words kind of just don't measure up and so or don't seem worthy. So, you know, prayer with Scripture can just give you that confidence. They are God-breathed words, and I believe that they really just do have power over your situation. You know, if you might have noticed that all those ones I read out were actually Psalms, and I think David is just like the epitome of crying out to God in every emotion and every situation. He really depends and relies on God, and he has a really interesting prayer strategy because in some of Psalms, he actually starts praying, calling out to God, and then he kind, of asks, he kind of switches off for a moment and asks himself questions. And I believe that's David's way of actually doing that learning and growing as he prays. So he's praying scripture, and it, well, he's crying out to God, and then he's asking himself these questions because he wants the Holy Spirit to speak to him. And then he prays scripture over his situation, and it brings hope and faith back into his prayers. So I, I really believe David has a lot to teach us in that strategy. Number four, pray by building a case before God. Now there are two verses in Isaiah that I believe that God has given us for this strategy, a secret weapon and a bit of a revelation in why we can pray. Number one, Isaiah 1 and 18. It says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. If it's possible, Dean, to put the other one up with this, I don't know if it is, Isaiah 43 and 25, I, yes, I alone, will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Let us review this situation together and you can present your case to prove your innocence. Now, in my job, as an occupational therapist, I spend literally hours and hours writing complex reports And the basis of them is that I have to present a case to the NDIS or to DVA and to different agencies, basically analyzing and scripting either 
assistive technology and equipment or home modifications. And bit by bit, case by case, I have to go through and paint a really vivid picture of this person, their needs, their disability, why, why it's clinically justified that I think this person should have something that's going to cost the government twenty or thirty or forty thousand dollars. And in order to do that, I literally take every part, say it's a wheelchair, and it's a highly scripted wheelchair, I will take every part of that wheelchair, from the tires, to the backrest, to the seat pad, to the cushion, to the, whether it has a tilting space function, whether it has elevating leg rests, there's a plethora of things that I have to go through. And literally, bit by bit, I clinically justify why that client is in desperate need for that thing. And, you know, I believe I have a really good track record because I detail very clearly, and I present the case to the NDIS. They don't know this person from anyone. I am the one that has to then show them and present a case. All right, and that is because they don't know this person. But with God, he knows every hair on our head. He knows every thought before we even think it. So why would we need to present our case to God? Well, I believe there's only one explanation for that. If we didn't have to approach God in prayer to voice our opinions and our thoughts and our feelings, then we wouldn't be entering into a personal relationship with him. We would be having a prayer life that literally just had a dialogue, a habitual, um, you know, sort of uh, scripting. I believe that God wants us piece by piece to expose our hearts, to show him what we're going through. I believe that as we go through that scripting, as we talk about our backrests and our footrests and our different things that we need from God in our life, I believe that the Holy Spirit will speak to us. Have you guys ever been in that situation where you think, oh, I just really need to offload all this thing. I've got this situation. And Swelly, will you just like hear me out and see what you think? I just really don't know. And then you have that conversation. And by the time you've spilled it all out, you've kind of already half figured the answer. And it's just because you've spoken it out loud. I believe that God wants us to do this with him because I believe that he will, bit by bit, piece by piece, help us in our spirits to actually go, okay, that's how I want you to deal with this. That's how I want you to deal with that. I'm speaking to you through the word that you read yesterday. I'm going to speak to you about that part of this situation, and it's going to change you. It's going to you know, have an impact on you. It's going to make you do something differently. I want you to repent of this. I want you to do that in that situation. I believe he changes us. So build a case before God and it's worth it. Number five, pray in humility and seek forgiveness of sin. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Now this component is essential. Now, it was in context, it was meant for the nation of Israel who had given, been given clear instructions by God and he would bring blessings for those who followed him and he, was, he would bring destruction, plagues, locusts and disaster on those that turned away from him. So it was meant for the whole nation, kind of like a revival. But I believe that God wants us individually to follow these principles today, to bring about victory and healing for ourselves, for our families and our community. If we want success in our finances and we're not getting it, we have to humble ourselves. We have to ask God, is there any blockages in our way? Are we good stewards of our finance, God? Are we generous with our finance? Do we have integrity in our work? We need to seek his face, we need to listen, and we need to get rid of any sin. If we want success in our relationships and we're struggling, if we seek his face, if we humble ourselves, if we forgive our enemy, 
You know, our enemy isn't our best friend or our boss or even our husbands. Our enemy is a mighty power in this dark world, evil spirits in heavenly places. When we humble ourselves, when we seek his face, when we turn from our wicked ways and God will hear from heaven, he will fight our battles on our behalf. And I believe that this kind of prayer unlocks the powers of heaven. Number six, we're getting there. Pray trusting God's timing. Okay, who knows Jeremiah 29, 11? You don't have to put up your hands. Most of us know that verse, right? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Don't raise your hands again, but who knows Jeremiah 29, 12? It says, in those days, when you pray, I will listen. Now, this 12 is not often tagged on. We, we very much speak out Jeremiah 29, 11 over many situations for ourselves and in our churches. But 29.12 is very important, and I'll tell you why. Because his plans for us are not automatic. There are two factors here, very important not to miss when we read this first verse. So let me just give you a quick background. The Israelite people were in exile in Babylon, and they'd stuffed up yet again. And they were understandably fed up, and they were desperate to return home. Now, there was a false prophet who had told them, hey, you guys will be out of here in a couple of years. You'll be right. But Jeremiah, who was a prophet of God, calls out this lie. And that's what we read in Jeremiah 29, 11. God did have a plan for them. The plan was for good, for a hope for their future. But that future was in his timing. And it certainly wasn't the way in which they expected it. God told them through Jeremiah that they would be in exile for 70 years. So that meant for a lot of them that they wouldn't even come into that land, into that promise, into that good place in their generation. He said not a day before and not a day after would they return home. So God was urging them to seek peace and prosperity in the land that they had been enslaved. So the two factors we pull out of Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12 are these. God's timing and our prayer. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. Sometimes I think when we pray once or twice and we haven't had our answer, we can think it's failed or that, you know, God's not heard us. We need to speak, we need to listen, we need to wait, and we need to continue to pray. Number seven, pray with the whole armor of God. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, 11, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. So Paul urges us, put on the belt of truth. Put on the blessed breastplate of righteousness. Put on the shoes of peace. Put on the shield of faith. Put on the helmet of salvation. And put on the sword of the Spirit, which is his word. Now, this armor, guys, is not passive protection. It's a strategy that can be used offensively against the schemes of the devil and his attacks. When I first met Swelly, um, he taught me how to play chess. Now, he was very clever, very strategic, and within every game, in about two goes, he was like on the offensive stance. <laughs> Strategically, he'd knock my pieces off the ball one by one, <laughs> to the point where basically it was, um, you know, only a matter of time before my king was overthrown. He would be very clever plotting his next attack about five moves ahead, where I just remained in this defensive stance the whole time. 
sometimes afterwards, I was known to have a few tears because <laughs> I felt so unprepared. And it wasn't nice being under constant attack. So when we feel like, when we feel like we're losing a, a, a battle, we need to move, move out of defense and into offense. We need to be strategic. We need to put on God's armor and we need to pray. God will take over our fight and battle for us. I should have prayed back then in those days. Anyway, my, um, I have a, um, a friend, a really close friend who lives in Canberra. And just the, a few weeks ago, we were having a conversation on the phone. And she said to me, um, she's got this amazing new job. But it's been, you know, quite a, a journey of thinking they were going to move and then not, and then trying to get a new job. And she's got this amazing job in a Christian school. It just sounds so perfect for her. And um, she's had a bit of a history of back pain, but it's been many years since she's had a really bad flare-up. And in the first week of her new job, she got this terrible flare-up of her back pain to the point where she could barely get out of bed. And straight away she was onto it. She recognized it was a ploy and a strategy of the devil just to, to stop her in this role. And she prayed. She got in the shower and she literally prayed. She put on God's armor. She went, God, I am putting on the belt of truth. I am putting on the breastplate of righteousness. She went through each one. And after she was prayed for and she made it to work. And she was, you know, I mean, the pain wasn't completely gone, but she was more than capable of getting to that job from being in a place where she could barely move. So I believe that when we when we strategize, when we put on the armor of God I believe, and we pray, I believe that God will intervene. Ephesians 6 and 18 goes on to say, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. If we want any chance of standing firm against the enemy who is scheming every minute of every day, we have to be men and women of prayer. So if you've had a busy week and you find that the only time you've really prayed, like warlike strategic prayer, is on a Sunday because you've come to church and on a Wednesday because you've been to Bible study. You leave your Monday, your Tuesday, your Thursday, your Friday and your Saturday open to the schemes of the devil. Prayer and worship are two of the most powerful weapons we have against the devil. So if I were the enemy and I was trying to stop you in your purpose, I would, um, you know, I would try and stop you praying. But the devil is clever. He won't just whisper in your ear, ear like, hey, Kath, just... Just stop praying. It's just not really, it's not going to work. You know, because I'd be straight onto it. I'd be like, hey, devil, you know, like, I've got my stomping boots and I'm going to kick you where it hurts and I'm going to pray anyway. Because it's just, it's, you know, like, it's not, it's obvious. It's, you know, I'm not going to listen to the devil when he says something like that. But if he is being strategic, which he will, he will, he will find a way to break, break my prayer by using another way. For, for me, if Swelly and I have, um, have a bit of an argument, I have to say I can go into a bit of an internal meltdown. It really rocks my world. You know, I become a bit numb, I get sad, I get cranky, and I can lose my desire to pray. I don't feel full of strength and full of wise words. I feel like I'm falling apart. And in those early days of our relationship, God helped us to know in those times who our enemy was, to be humble, to seek him, to pray, forgive one another, build each other up instead of tearing each other down. We fought in the wrong way for some time. It's been a long time since we've had those kind of arguments. And, you know, can you believe in the last few weeks as I've been preparing this, we've had these fights where that has exactly happened. And 
Ever since that day that we met Lynn, um, Swelly and I had made um, like a, a, a pact, like a strategy that we were going to sit down together every night when the kids went to bed and we were going to pray. We were going to pray together, warlike prayer over our church, over our leaders, over our friends, over our family, over our, you know, our health, over so many things. And it's just so interesting that the devil decided, you know, like has, has got in there and created this friction and, 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 you know, it's the alternative way he will stop us from praying. I mean, you know, there's, there's a point where I believe that you have to get wise to his schemes, you know. You have to watch out for the strategy that the devil's going to use on you. It might be that you worry about finance and that stops you from trusting God. It may be lacking in self-confidence and that stops you fulfilling his will. It might be that you suffer with anxiety and it stops you feeling that God is good. It might be wounds of bitterness and it stops you maintaining relationships. Or it might even just simply be busyness. You know, you're so busy serving that you're too tight to connect him with him in prayer. If he can find a way to stop you praying, he will. So I encourage you all, to remember these strategies, remain connected in prayer, pray continually, pray with scripture similar to situation, pray building a case before God, pray in humility and seek forgiveness of sin, pray trusting God's timing, and pray with the whole armor of God. So I just feel this morning to encourage you all to just become a little more serious about prayer. Some of us here are already absolutely amazing prayers, warlike prayers, but none of us are immune to falling away, to falling into the traps of the devil, or to being entangled by sin. So I encourage you to become familiar with these or your own strategies to stand firm in the offensive position and to fight a victory battle. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you so much, Lord, that you have given us this powerful weapon of prayer I thank you that we can come to you on our knees or, you know, standing strong with our arms raised. I pray that it doesn't matter where we are, what we are, who we are. You love each one of us in every part of our life, every situation that we face. And I pray, God, that we start being more bold and more confident in our prayer life. I pray that you help us this morning to evaluate where we're at, to just, Lord, that you will speak to each one of us individually about, you know, our relationship with you show us, Lord, humble us, let us seek your face, let us just be desperate for you in every situation of our life. We pray against the schemes of the devil, Lord. We pray that no weapon formed against us will prosper in Jesus' name. And we just pray, Lord, that you, know, you will help us to grow, to be great witnesses, to be your light in our communities. I pray, especially at this time, Lord, you put your hedge of protection over our firefighters and our community as they suffer and struggle. I pray, Lord, that we are your light. We are your hope. We, we have a future that is good. I pray, Lord, that we can carry out these strategies, that we can be offensive in, in, our, in, our, in our strategy to fight for victory. We thank you that you've already won the victory. We thank you that you've died on the cross for us. We thank you that we now need to just come and claim that victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Thank you, Kath, for reminding us about the importance and the power of prayer. Let's stand and we're going to sing. And I just encourage you that uh, we all pray and I think connect differently with God. Like I like to walk and pray. Josh often like talks to God in the shower and comes out with these amazing insights. So whatever it is for you, it's not one fits all. And may you just find that spot, that sweet spot where you connect with God and where you can um, really just get into that prayer zone. So we're going to finish by worshipping. Thank you, Kath. Thanks, Jen.